Hawkeye Self Storage in Danville has electricity hookups, 14-foot-tall doors, and 60-foot drive lanes, private bays, interior and exterior lighting with 24-7 access gated entry. They also feature indoor RV and boat storage with multiple locations in Danville and one in Pittsburgh. More information can be found by calling their phone number at 317-745-2700 or by going to their website, hawkeyestorageunits.com. This is a special edition of Sights and Sounds with your host, Alan Kiger. This is Sights and Sounds. I'm your host, Alan Kiger, and my guest today is retired Marine Colonel Randy Hoffman. Randy, how is your day going? It's going really well, Alan. I want to thank you for having me on the show tonight, and it's great to hear your voice. Well, Randy, we want to say thanks for being a part of this. Uh, You're only the second person I've ever interviewed that I actually would say I know or went to school with. I mean, this this is a big deal for me, and it makes it the interview a little harder because I think interviewing somebody you know might be harder than interviewing somebody you don't know. Let's, if you don't mind, give the listeners a little background. People that aren't from Hendricks County or Danville that are listening around the world, who you are and where you're from. Sure. So, uh, so I grew up in Danville. Um, lived there for uh, most of my childhood. And we uh, graduated high school with you in 1985, a senior class of Danville High School. Uh, left Danville right after I graduated and enlisted in the Marine Corps. Uh, I spent 10 years enlisted, uh, took my, my GI Bill while I was enlisted, went to college, graduated from Indiana, uh, spent the rest of my time in the Marine Corps in Oster, and did uh, 37 years. So I retired about... About a year and three months ago, and I'm currently in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia now, working as a uh, defense contractor, uh, and that's that's pretty much it. Well, Randy, during that 37 years of being in the Marine Corps, I know you can't talk about some of the things you did, but for for let's say young listeners, you know, there's there's a lot of I would say kids out there. We were we were kids once upon a time. We graduated 1985. Would you give them the advice to join the Marines? Uh, is that something you would still push? If you were going back and you hadn't had your experiences, would this be something you would want to pursue if you were graduating in 2023? You know, Alan, it would be. Uh, everybody joins the military for a different reason. Um, you know, for me personally, I had a lot of examples in my life of men who were what I would call servant leaders. Uh, I wanted to do something special with my life like they did, uh, but I knew I needed some help to do that. So I was seeking out uh, leaders, men who would invest in me, and it transformed my life. Uh, I think it made it richer. Not to say there wasn't hard times, obviously, in the war and other places, but for me, uh, it, 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 it served me well and it helped me. And yes, I would recommend that to any young man or woman today. Well, we'd love to hear that. Randy, let's go back to uh, 1985. We were seniors in high school. 
and we played on baseball teams together. I've known you since we were in, I would say, junior high, maybe elementary school. I can't remember the exact date that we that we met. But you talked about wanting to join the Marines as far back as I can remember and all through high school. In our senior year, you know, you said, I, I joined the Marines. So I'm going to go to the Marines when I get out of high school. And we go back to 1985. You were not a what I would call a big, strong, bulky, marine-looking type material. Uh, you had a mullet. We rode skateboards. We wore van tennis shoes. How hard was that to transition from Danville High School to going to boot camp in the Marine Corps? Uh, it's funny uh, because you're absolutely right. I was... I was a pretty small kid, actually skinny. I think when I joined the Marine Corps, I was five foot seven or eight, uh, weighed about a hundred and thirty pounds, and uh, didn't have a lot of direction in my life. Uh, so uh, it was a shock to the system. Uh, I had relatives, uh, a dad and two uncles who had served in the Marine Corps, so I, I knew a little bit about it. Uh, but Alan, I'll tell you, it was a shock to the system. It. it uh, Immediately upon going to boot camp, uh, I knew I was in a different place. And uh, a lot of that is a young kid, man or woman. Uh, you know, there's some immaturity, and like all of us in high school, we were young and immature. Uh, but it, it was a, I wouldn't say it was an easy transition. It took a lot, took a lot of, of changing uh, in my life. Uh, one of the things I lacked was discipline and confidence. Uh, I was never really a, a high-end varsity sports player, and I knew I probably could have been had I had the discipline. So you're right, uh, coming in as a young man and, and uh, knowing I had the ability, but just needing somebody to help me get there. So why did you join the Marine Corps? Uh, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, uh, in 1985, there was a part of me uh, that I knew I, I wasn't ready for college at that time. Uh, I wasn't a super academically gifted kid. I didn't have horrible grades, but I was just kind of average. Uh, and I knew I just wasn't ready for college, uh, really from a maturity standpoint. So that was one of the things. I knew I, I wanted to get out, and I wanted to see a little bit of the world. Um, I wanted to test myself, uh, even though I was a little nervous about that. I wanted to test myself. Uh, in the service in the Marine Corps. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I really wanted to, to do something that was greater than myself. That kind of sounds like a cliche, but I really mean that. I wanted to do something that I felt was important for me personally, but also something that was important for others. Any type of service, firemen, uh, paramedic, uh, nurses, doctors, you know, anybody who's in the, any field of service, there's a kind of an intangible factor to it where you feel good about what you're doing for the greater whole. So I think that was a, a driving force in my life. Okay. Well, Randy, this is a typically I've got musicians on here. A couple times I've had race car drivers. So this is my first time interviewing somebody from the military, especially with the rank of colonel. So I want to I play a patriotic song that maybe you might like that would re reach out to our audience. So let's listen to Taylor Hicks, 19. All right, sounds good, brother. He was only 19 That was Taylor Hicks, 19. And my guest today is Randy Hoffman. If you're just tuning in, he is a retired colonel from the Marine Corps after 37 years a 1985 graduate of Danville High School, and he's our guest. Randy, we were talking earlier about me, what made you want to join the military. You explained that to us. You came in as an enlisted man. What made you decide you wanted to become an officer? Uh, good question. Uh, my, uh, let, me, let me say this first. The Marine Corps specifically doesn't really care what your job is when you get in the Marine Corps. Their main focus is to develop uh, good leaders at every level, from private all the way up to four-star general, the senior rank. 
And so at a very low rank, in, at a very young age, the Marine Corps, I would argue more than a lot of the other services, places a great deal of responsibility on you. Uh, literally life and death situations. Uh, and so as a young Marine, enlisted Marine, I was given a lot of responsibility that I had never had in my life. Uh, an example of that would be uh, learning how to, how to basically throw one of your teammates out of a, an airplane at a very high altitude in a parachute and calculate where he was going to land on the ground. That was one of the jobs I had in the Marine Corps. Um, or being on a scuba dive, uh, like, you know, 50 feet below the ocean surface with another guy that's tied to you on a line and you're finning, you know, four or five kilometers to the beach uh, in a pretty rough surf zone. So the responsibility factor is immense. And when you get a little bit of that, it's kind of a, not an adrenaline rush, it's just a huge confidence boost to you and you want to get more of it. So starting as a young enlisted Marine, and from private to sergeant, I continually wanted more leadership opportunities. And I finally got to a point in my life at the 10-year mark, I had some senior uh, staff sergeants uh, who had been enlisted longer than I had, and, and they basically told me, they said, listen, if you want to lead at a much higher level, uh, you should consider going to college and becoming an officer. So the, the main focus was just to build my leadership uh, skill set and just lead at a higher level. Uh, and that's pretty much been the driving force from private all the way to colonels. That's very impressive. Randy, one of the, the things that we've talked about over the years was your feel of music to bringing you back to being home and being part of Indiana where your roots were and helping you get through those times. When you were in the Marine Corps, especially, we haven't touched on that going into it, but during the the war years from 2001 to 2021, how did music impact your life while you were in the Marine Corps? Yeah, uh, man, another great question. Um, music, uh, it's, it's, it hits your senses. And I think anything that emotionally uh, stirs you uh, or, or might be tethered to a very long-term memory uh, unlocks a lot of emotions. Uh, emotionally, uh, physically, mentally, and I'm sure every one of your listeners have experienced this. You know, they hear a song that they remember, uh, and they remember exactly where they were at when they heard that song. Um, so that emotion is just compounded a uh, hundred times over when you're in a life and death situation, or you're away from your family in, in a in a country far away. So for me and a lot of my friends, a lot of my brothers and sisters in the Marine Corps uh, and the Navy, music grounded us and it connected us to people back home. And uh, in fact, the, uh, the song you, that you mentioned earlier, 19, was one of those songs you know, that came out during the war. And, and it, it's very reminiscent uh, of kind of what I'm talking about um, you know, I've had a lot of young men, a lot of young Marines that I was in charge of that didn't come home. And uh, what I love about that song is that it describes, you know, the young men and women that have given so much. You know, I, I think there's a line in there where they talk about that uh, she's a boy next door. You know, uh, he might have carried your your groceries at the grocery store. He's somebody's son. You know, so the emotion of that. When I hear that song today, it connects me to my own Marines that I lost in the war. Uh, so it's very powerful. That's very powerful, very touching for the for the listeners. Now, one of the songs you and I have talked about in the past that that kind of reminded you of home, and, and it's kind of fitting how the title is, it's Travis Tritt, Where Corn Don't Grow. Now, are you thinking about that when you're up in the mountains in Afghanistan and obviously corn doesn't grow up there. And is that a connection to how you relate to that song? Uh, in a way, yes. Uh, 
in fact, you'd be surprised. Corn does grow at pretty high altitude. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was surprised. I was at 9,000 feet, and I saw Afghan farmers growing corn. Now, it didn't look like Indiana corn. And the soil wasn't dark like our soil back in Indiana, but I've seen corn grow at a pretty high altitude. But um, that song specifically is kind of a, re- a reminder to me of what young people wish for and maybe don't understand the implications of the wishes or the desires that they have. And I think we've all kind of experienced this. And what I love about that song, I'm a big Travis Tritt fan. But what I love about that song is it describes me in, in uh, high school, you know, 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, all the way up until I, I came in the Marine Corps. You know, I had those talks with my my dad and, and uh, my uncles on the front porch of the house, whether or not I was going to, you know, leave and go in the Marine Corps. And uh, I, I was looking around at the time, and I'm thinking, why would I stay in Danville, Indiana? You know, what what's... What's in Danville, Indiana for me? And to your point, many years later, uh, on a mountainside up in Afghanistan, uh, I'm, I'm, I, go, I go back in my mind and I remember those discussions. Man, there was no other place in the world I'd want to leave, you know, at that time. Well, to, uh, to be back home. Well, Randy, let's let's go ahead and listen to Travis Trent, where corn don't grow. That was Travis Tritt, where corn don't grow. I'm Alan Kiger with Sights and Sounds, and my guest today is retired Colonel Randy Hoffman, if you're just tuning in. Randy, you were talking about the effects of that song, Where Corn Don't Grow, by Travis Tritt, and how it reminded you of home. And it touched on something before we played the song, how many tours did you do in Afghanistan? Yeah, uh, as crazy as it sounds, I, I can almost lose count. Um, and it's kind of a long story, so I won't, I won't get into it. But um, I did uh, roughly two and a half years straight uh, in, in eastern Afghanistan up in the mountains. And there's a lot of reasons why I was there that long that I can't really get into. Um, but during that two and a half years, I came home roughly five times. And uh, the times that I came home during that period were, I think the shortest time was only about a week and a half. And then I think a couple times I was able to stay home for about a month. Uh, so two and a half years right there. I did uh, nine months in Iraq, in northern Iraq. Uh, and then I went back on several other tours afterwards. Uh, so a pretty good to, to, to put it all together, probably about five and a half to six years total between Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, some other countries uh, in North Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa. That's some of the stuff you just touched on there in North Africa. There's There's a lot of little skirmishes that we get in and help people out that I don't think the average person knows unless you hear from somebody that's that's been there. Is that is that standard policy or you know, is it is it just kept from us as the public or is it just not made extremely publicly known? Not not for for those you know bad kind of reasons, but. It's just not right. the, the big, the bigger wars that everybody knows about. But we're we're around the world protecting the world. The Marines are. So, can you touch on that without giving any information away? Sure. Yeah. So uh, we live in a we live in a world with a lot of bad stuff going on, and uh, Marines and sailors specifically, but I would even say Army and Air Force. Right now, tonight, they're forward deployed all over the all over the world. And just because you're not hearing about it on the news doesn't mean that there's not bad people wanting to do bad things to other people. And it competes, you know, it competes in a 24-hour news cycle. So, you know, even before 9-11, you know, I was in three uh, different, we call them contingency operations, but they were essentially civil wars in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, I was in the Republic of the Congo for a couple months. 
I was in uh, Sierra Leone uh, during a coup where two tribal factions were fighting and we were protecting uh, American citizens, working in the embassy. I was in Liberia, Africa. Uh, we had Marines in the Central African Republic of Bangui. Uh, we've had Marines in the Black Sea where Ukrainian forces are fighting right now for the last seven years, uh, even before Ukraine went south. So. Marines and sailors are always forward deployed on ships. Half your time is on a ship in the Marine Corps, and you're on a ship literally positioned somewhere in the world anticipating that a crisis might get worse. Uh, now, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan consume most of the news cycle, uh, but there's a lot of spillages from those wars uh, with Islamic extremists and others that have been in different areas. So it's... Uh, it's kind of normal, really. I mean, most people in the military know about them, but I would say the vast majority of Americans back home don't hear about it just because it's competing in the news cycle. Okay, well, Randy, you talked about spending all those time in in wars. With with war comes horrible, horrible things. You mentioned off people that you worked with or un, worked under you that have lost their lives, and I remember you coming back home to Indiana and I don't know what you call that person, but you were the person that went with the chaplain and knocked on the door and said to the, the mother or the father or the husband or the wife or the son that their loved one isn't coming home anymore. How does that affect a person like you? And is that part of what brings back some of the PTSD? Can you explain that to people? Or is it the experiences of being over in war that brings out the PTSD? Yeah, sure. Uh, th- thanks for asking that question, because I think it's, it's really important to talk about. Um, and um, I think really uh, a lot of leaders, frankly, don't spend enough time to give it the credit that it's worth. And what I've tried to do... Uh, and I wasn't always motivated to do this, but what I tried to do, especially when I got older and higher in the ranks, is just be very honest about what war can do to a person. Um, and the best way I can describe it, Alan, is that you have physical injuries in a war. A lot of guys do. Uh, sadly, a lot of my Marines and sailors uh, are caught, you know, missing arms and legs, double leg amputees. And... Uh, but there's also a lot of moral injuries, and that's kind of a newer term that's come out in a lot of these uh, recent uh, medical periodicals and, and discussions. But a moral injury is a little bit different in that you've been involved in something that has caused great emotional trauma to you and the people around you. Um, so that's kind of a precursor to PTSD, I believe, at least in my case. And you, you cannot be involved in all these different types of engagements and wars and conflicts and come out like you were before you went in. It's just, in my humble opinion, it's just there's no one that's put together that way. I mean, most Americans, most young men and women um, can't go through 20 years of war and not be impacted by it. So the job you're referring to is uh, I was an inspector instructor uh, training reserve Marines and sailors and preparing them to go back to Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, and unfortunately for me, it was kind of a timing issue. I had just come out of about three and a half years of combat myself, and I was placed in a position uh, actually in Terre Haute, Indiana. I had a reserve infantry rifle company that I had to send back to Iraq in, in the hype of the fighting in 2006 and seven. And so these were my Marines. These weren't necessarily people that I didn't know. I knew their families. They lived around me. They were from central Indiana, southern Indiana, some from Illinois. And, and I trained them for a half year. Um, and, and part of the struggles with leadership is you have to send young men and women to war and the probability is you know when you do that they're not all coming back so I sent uh, roughly 80, 88 Marines to Fallujah, Iraq in 2006 uh, many of them were severely wounded uh, several of them were killed 
their sisters and children that were killed. And uh, coming out of, of three and a half years of war, that took an incredible toll on me and my family. And uh, it, you know, I struggled with PTSD uh, pretty severely. And it's just something that you know is always going to be with you. Um, the, the good news is this. Uh, if you get the right help and you're able to have the right support around you, you can get through it. And in fact, uh, I would argue that you can become stronger, become a stronger person having made it through that period. That's not to say that it's not always with you. It is. It's with me every day of my life. Uh, there's not a day go by that I don't think about uh, these men and women that, that I love dearly. Uh, and there's not a day goes by that I don't think about their families. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is uh, war is a horrible thing. It, it, it does horrible things to people. And I would, I would say that probably the biggest peace activists you can find in the world are probably men and women that have served in war because they know how terrible it is and they try to prevent wars by building security for the country. Well, Randy, talking about the PTSD, thanks for sharing that with the, with the listeners. You were, there was a big article written on you in the Wall Street Journal. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about that, the gentleman that wrote it, and why it was written? Yeah, sure. So uh, several years ago, I was uh, commanding Marines at Paris Island uh, in the Marine Corps, at the time was, was coming out of both of these periods of war. And uh, unfortunately for us, the Marine Corps started experiencing uh, suicide rates that were on a level that had not been seen since uh, Vietnam, since post-Vietnam. And um, the public affairs uh, officer of the Marine Corps, the senior public affairs general, was looking for a way to talk about PTSD, to talk about suicide prevention. Uh, and there were some senior leaders in the Marine Corps that knew my story. They knew that, that I had turned down command because at the time I was struggling with PTSD and I needed to, I needed to get some help. And thankfully for me, I had great leaders that rallied around me. They got me the help I needed. And then I went on to command after that. So I was able to, to basically decline command, which is almost a career in, your, in, in normal times. But I think because, you know, I gave an honest self-assessment self of where I was at at the time that the Marine Corps uh, respected that, and they rallied behind me, and in fact, they they uh, they really helped me. They, and that's what really kind of got me on the, on the path to recovery. So they wanted to share that story with the, the greater population of Marines, especially our enlisted Marines, because enlisted Marines look up to their officer and have a senior officer say, hey, listen, it's okay if you're not okay, and it's also okay if you're struggling with the effects of war and the trauma of combat. So they, they had a, a, a reporter, his name is uh, Michael Phillips. He's an excellent guy, a good friend of mine. Uh, he's a journalist, actually, I would call him a reporter, he's a journalist, a uh, very smart guy, uh, went to Harvard, uh, just exceptional writer. And he came down and he spent a couple of weeks with my family, and I felt comfortable enough to, to share some fairly personal things with him. And uh, he published the story, I, I think it came out in 2020. Uh, he was actually put in for a Pulitzer Prize for the story. And uh, I felt it's hard to do at the time because you're reliving a lot of memories. It's pretty intrusive to, to have a, a major newspaper like the Wall Street Journal kind of dig into your life and follow you and your kids to school. And they were with me for six months for that story. Uh, but the, the really incredible thing that happened afterwards is I was flooded with letters and emails from a lot of men and women that spanned all the way back to World War II that were struggling with PTSD. And, and I think in the end, I feel like God kind of used that story to hopefully save some lives and kind of, you know, kind of open up a discussion on what PTSD is, uh, how normal it is uh, to experience it, especially after 20 years of war. And I think in the end that the story did a lot of good for a lot of people. Well, we're, we're thankful to him and we're thankful to you for sharing your story. And, and maybe there's people out there 
that this will help. Is there a place where people could go if there's other servicemen that are suffering from PTSD that are thinking about suicide? Is, is there a way they can get a hold of help? And if it is, where can they go? Yeah, they're, they're, each service, first and foremost, each service, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, on any website, you could Google uh, and, and find something. Uh, in the Marine Corps specifically, we have something called Military One Source. Uh, and that's just literally one source is the term. And if you go to that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to drive there. And if not, uh, any VA website that you pull up will automatically have a helpline. Uh, any VA hospital, you know, that you call will have a voice message that will tell you if you're in crisis or you're contemplating suicide or you're having those type of thoughts. So there's lots of places. But what I will do is after the interview here, Alan, I'll, I'll send you some links that you can publish on your website. Okay, that'll be great. Well, Brady, we didn't talk any about it. I mean, you spent a lot of time fighting wars. Knowing you, growing up with you, we went to church together. Um, you called me out at your parents' memorial for skipping church with you uh, in front of the front of the preacher. So I think it's okay to ask this question. But when you, when you're fighting a war and you're spending time up there, I mean, you're getting shot at. You're you've lost people, loved ones that are around you, people that you've trained. What kind of role did God play in your life during that time period? Yeah, well, he's ever present, right? Yes. Um, I, it, it would take me an hour to explain what I've learned uh, and, and, and what it's done to my relationship in terms of strengthening it. Uh, first and foremost, I just feel very blessed uh, that I made it through the war alive. And uh, so I'm very thankful uh, for that. Uh, for him covering me with his protection because uh, a lot of like I mentioned earlier just a lot of young men and women old men and women really all ages did not come home but it also um, it also really made me think a lot about my mortality you know and, and I think police officers and people that are on the front lines of any job firemen uh you know, they always say you never see an atheist in a foxhole. That's kind of a kind of a cliche, but I will tell you that he spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, not being around, thinking about, you know, where you go when you die. And uh, that, you have a lot of discussions. <laughs> a lot of discussions. You have a lot of frank conversations with, with God. You know, the, the story you were talking about earlier, I kind of got into a habit uh, after my first six months in Afghanistan uh, on one of my short trips home I had a pretty frank talk with my wife and I told her I said I'm, I'm doing the math in my head and I, I don't know if I'm going to live through the next year and Don and I you know, kind of broke down and cried and composed ourselves our kids were toddlers then but she and I uh, both have an eternal outlook and we knew that if something happened to me, that we were going to see each other again. And I think it was, it was, you know, God and the Holy Spirit that just kind of gave me that, that assurance, you know, kind of a peace. And then you kind of just make your peace with it. And I told her, I go, if something happens to me, you know, you got to live your life and we're, we're going to move forward. And this is what I'd like the kids to know. And this is what I'd like you to do. And so she and I spent a lot of time praying, uh, and to answer a question, I'm kind of bouncing around here, but to answer it, what it does, it makes your relationship with Christ much more real and much more personal. You talk to him like literally he's sitting next to you. Uh, and I think really, you know, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to have that kind of relationship with him where you just have those frank discussions. Well, Randy, with that, and this is something I, it just while we're doing the interview that popped into my head and it, Reminds me of times reading the Bible, and for the people out there that haven't read the Bible, A, pick it up. It's a good book. If you're not a believer, you might be when you're done. If not, it's a great history book for the ones that aren't. But I'm going to go back to Psalms. There's a lot of stuff in Psalms that was written by David, and 
David fought a lot of battles, probably a lot similar to what what's being done today. You, got, you know, obviously different weapons, but war is war and death is death. And when you read the Psalms, there's a lot of praise in there that David gives, but there's a lot of sorrow in there as well. And it made me wonder if, you know, if David suffered PTSD, if he was seeing his soldiers under his command suffer PTSD. And I wonder if you ever put that connection together with, with the Bible. You know, it's interesting. I haven't. Uh, I, I have done it with historical figures, uh, military figures, you know, leaders, because I really wanted to find somebody else that went before me that was struggling with this. And to be completely honest with you, I needed to to convince me I was okay. Because the one thing that you don't want to do as a Marine is tell people you can't lead troops because you're falling apart. And, and to be honest with you, I got to a point I was falling apart. I couldn't lead troops. And in the Marine Corps, they tell you to know yourself and seek self-improvement. That's one of our leadership drills and principles. It's actually a leadership principle. Know yourself and seek self-improvement. And I knew myself in some pretty dark times that I could not lead effectively and I had to take my, myself out of a leadership position on my own. And we know that, to your point in the Bible, David was a leader. Um, so I would not hesitate at all uh, to think that he did not struggle. We know that he was fearful and that he had anxiety and that he had panic because he writes about it in the Psalms. I mean, Psalms 91, you know, one of my favorite songs. Mine talks about resting in the shadow of the Almighty. That implies to me he needed to rest in the shadow of God because he was stressed out and he was worried about walking, you know, walking this path with everybody trying to kill him. And that's kind of what Psalms 91 talks to. So I think it's, it's a great point that uh, the... the, the uh, the people in the Bible, those men and women, were people just like us. So I would argue that they struggled with the same things that we struggle with. They were challenged with the same ethical dilemmas that we're challenged with. And they failed just like we fail every day. Well, Randy, the listeners, you heard them I mean, talk earlier that, you know, we grew up, we went to high school together, we played on the same baseball team. Well, we went to concerts together. We went to Kansas and Hart and Police and had a lot of fun, but one of the things I remember, you know, going out to your grandparents' farm with your with your dad, but I remember after baseball games and a couple other times during the summer, we would go out to your to your dad's farm out off Amo Road, and there was there was two bridges, one on Amo Road, one on 200 South, and our class liked to play capture the flag. Well, we knew you wanted to be a Marine, but like you talked earlier, you were about 5'7", 5'8", and 130 pounds. So there was nothing that would have said you'd have been this giant man, colonel in the Marines. But your team always won, so I always wanted to make sure I got picked on your team to play capture the flag. But I don't think any of us at that time knew <laughs> in a weird way that we were kind of helping you train for the Marine Corps because that's what you're doing is out there playing capture the flag and it's capture the freedom. Did that ever, did you ever think about that? You know, Alan, it's funny because we're all uh, shaped by all of our experiences. So, yeah, so, I mean, there's there, there are things that I remember from Little League coaches. There are things that I remember from some of our, you know, favorite teachers we had in high school. Uh, Mr. Cassidy, you know, I remember having him for biology. Mr. Cassidy gave me a lot of confidence. Uh, and he, he found a way to get me connected. He looked for my strengths, and he allowed me to work off my strengths. And my strength was art. And I wasn't that great at science. So he would find ways for me to draw or, or sketch out, you know, cells or amoebas or whatever. Uh, so there's an example of a teacher that kind of developed me as a future leader. Uh, wrestling coach is Mr. Schmink. You know, he he worked with me a lot. And, and I wasn't a super good wrestler, but I had a, normally I came out pretty good at the end of the season with more wins than I did uh, draws or a, or a loss. Uh, art teachers that were complimentary to me, you know, Sue Gillock, Kim Kistner, uh, uh, Joan Kistner, Kim Kistner's mom, uh, coaches, 
your dad, your mom and dad, you know, your dad had a big influence on me, you know, always talked to me when I walked into the station and was always encouraging to me when I came home on leave. I spoke to Troy Clark, actually texted him a while back when his dad passed away. I was relaying to him how his dad would always stop his international scout, roll down the window and ask me questions when I was home on leave. So the answer is yes. A lot of people, friends, family, teachers, coaches, uh, just local businesses, you know, that were supportive of me as a kid and then later in uniform, all of that impacted me like it does everybody else that, that leaves Danville. A lot of sweet memories there. Well, Randy, are there any other things that make you think of home when you've been out on the road, up there doing the tours, when you've had your commands in other states, other cities, other countries? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. You know, the listeners don't know this, but you know this. You know, so my wife, I've known my wife since she was six years old. Uh, she was my best friend's little sister, and, you know, my, my best friend ended up becoming my brother-in-law, Brett. Many of the listeners from Danville there know Brett Smith, just heart of gold. And, and we lost Brett at age 40. He died unexpectedly. So when Don and I were away from home, uh, we would spend a lot of time uh, reminiscing about home. And one of our favorite memories uh when we were abroad, we spent some time in Okinawa, Japan as a family. We'd always put in the movie Hoosiers. And uh, the movie Hoosiers specifically uh, was a really big connection to me. I watched it on and off throughout the war. And the thing I loved about that movie is that it was it, it came out and was filmed in Danville right after I enlisted in the Marine Corps. And many of the people, including you, Alan, are in that movie. And many of the places around Hendricks County, Boone County, Montgomery County, you know, Crawfordsville to Greencastle to Danville to, uh, you know, Hadley, all those little small towns are captured in time. But even more special, my entire graduating high school class practically is in several scenes. That really... Uh, the, the, the music in it moves Don and I and then being able to go back and see all of your friends frozen in time at the age they were when you remember it was pretty special so that, that stands out as a memory that, that I've went back to you time and time again over the years that is, that is really really awesome well Randy we're, we're nearing the end of this interview and I want to I want to ask you, you're you're in Riyadh right now in Saudi Arabia. You spent 37 years in the Marine Corps. That's all you've known since your high school life. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Yeah, it's uh, that's a good question, Alan. You know. I know after I'm done here, the, the job I'm doing now, uh, I'm doing it for a couple reasons that I can't really get into, but one of which was to take care of my mom before she passed away. There were some kind of financial issues. Long story short, she was in hospice for a while, and we needed to get her some good medical care. This job kind of helped me with that a little bit, uh, and just pay for my own kid's college. You know, just put some money in the bank to kind of pad my retirement a little bit, so... When I'm done here, and that'll, that'll be coming soon, what I'd like to do is just first and foremost spend some time with Dawn, my kids. I've got a grandson that's coming probably late February or March. He's going to be born. That's my first grandson. So Dawn and I are really excited about that. And uh, I took this job literally right after I retired. In fact, I was still on what we call terminal leave. So I had left the Marine Corps, uh, you know, started growing my hair out a little bit, grew a mustache, stopped shaving, uh, probably put on a few pounds too, to be honest with you. And, but immediately, within a couple of weeks, I took this job. And I think that's just because I'm so used to working that I didn't want to just go completely dry after three seven years. So this job has allowed me to kind of see what working outside of the Marine Corps is like and and, uh, and I like it. It's kind of like the Marine Corps. There's some challenges that I can dig into and some complex problem solving. But I'm not going to do this forever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it for about a year and a half. And then, and then I'm going to just spend some downtime with, with Dawn. 
uh, with my two daughters and son. My son graduates uh, West Florida here in uh, 23, uh, spring of 23. My youngest daughter, Emma, she graduates uh, from high school here this May out of uh, Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, that was my last duty station uh, teaching at Florida State, uh, ROTC at Florida State. And then um, my oldest daughter, Caroline, she just recently got married to a Marine officer uh, who's going through his training right now. They're stationed out in San Antonio, Texas, and she's expecting our first grandson. So first and foremost, I just want to reconnect with him, spend some time with him, and just enjoy being around him. And, uh, you know, after that, uh, kind of look, look at where I'm at, you know, and I, I feel like God's given me a purpose. Uh, for these last 37 years and, and frankly I don't know what his purpose is for me going forward and I, I think the way that I find that out is just to listen and uh, kind of rest for a while and, and just do a little bit of uh, self-reflection and I know that's not a great answer but it's about the best answer I have right now <laughs> is I don't really for the first time in my life I don't know what's next I just know I'm going to finish this job and then I'm, I'm 56 years old I'm in, I'm in pretty good health. Uh, I can I can still run pretty far, still run marathons, hike, and do stuff like that. So I'm going to just enjoy my family and, and pray and see where God leads me next. Well, Randy, you, you keyed on something there. You've got three wonderful kids. I've got the opportunity to go to a couple of them's graduation and talk to you and talk to Don about them growing up and see pictures on Facebook and meet them and... You've raised your family all over this country, and a lot of people, you see stuff on, you know, it's, it's 2022. People, people revolve their, their life around Facebook and what they see and where they go. And, and a lot of times you would see people that would think it would be horrible to take their kid out of high school, you know, their sophomore year, and it would ruin them. And seeing your three kids and the way you and Dawn, and, and I'm going to, not knock you here, but especially Dawn, because she was the one that was around all the time. But they are well-rounded, great children that seem to be able to interact with anybody for at any time. I, I, I really think that you've raised three great kids and that you've just made them a part of our, our global world and really American, great American citizens. Where she used to 
shoot basketball against Brett and I. And, but, you know, just this last time we went out at my mom's funeral, I literally went to Sunset Street and I pointed to the two girls and I said, that's where I kissed your mom for the first time. And we were running from the police kind of behind that bush because <laughs> we were keeping in houses. <laughs> I think I remember that. <laughs> so, so kind of kind of both sides there. You know, there's a grounding aspect if you want to you want to remember where you came from. But I think for the kids, there's some resiliency from traveling around the world. And I appreciate your compliment, and I'll pass it on to Don. Well, one of the last things I want to say is you touched on my parents, and I want to say your your parents had an impact on my life and. Your dad and my dad, I think, came from the old school and taught us how to work. And I remember your dad saying, hey, why don't you guys, you guys want to go fishing this Saturday, Saturday afternoon? And we were both like, yeah, let's go fishing. Well, and he would say, well, we'll have a weenie roast when we get done. You probably knew, but you didn't bother to, to pass it on to me. I figured it out after the first time. But going out to your grandparents' farm and fishing and having a weenie roast meant going out and chopping wood and stacking it and loading it in the trailer you know, and if there was time left, we went fishing. And then I think your 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 dad feeding us the hot dog was just saving your mom from having to maybe cook dinner. But those were good times that you know you just wish you could capture in a bottle and go back to for just a few minutes in life. And Randy, I I really want to say thanks so much. Just it's Veterans Day. Thank you for being a part of Sights and Sounds, listeners. If you're listening to this and any of you are suffering from PTSD, do what Randy said. Get a hold of one of the support groups. Um, let's slow down and stop the suicides and just do whatever you can do. If you're a regular person and you see somebody suffering with those problems, try to reach out. And I know we don't always see what's happening with people when they're having problems, but maybe this will be something that will help us be more in tune to what people are going through. And I want to thank you for being a, a part of our show. It's the first time I've, I've had somebody like you on our show. And for the listeners, I brought him on because we've been friends for a long time. And I believe what he's done is allow me to be able to continue my radio show. Without people like Randy fighting for our freedom, we, we're not free. So, Randy, thank you very much for being a part of that. Hey, Alan, listen, man. I, I love you. Uh, I love the people back home. And... We, I get a little embarrassed at times. Most servicemen and women do when people thank us for our service. We just do. And what I want to say is to everybody back home, it's real simple. You're worth it. Uh, the reason people do what we do, I think the reason first responders, police officers, firemen do what they do is because they love the people around them, and you're worth it. So thank you. Well, thank you, and we love you, and God bless you, and safe travels. You've been listening to Sights and Sounds with Alan Kiger, sponsored by Hawkeye Storage in Danville. And don't forget, if you miss a broadcast, you can hear the podcast at sightsandsoundspromotions.com, where Alan hangs out with music royalty. Hawkeye Self Storage in Danville has electricity hookups, 14-foot tall doors, and 60-foot drive lanes, private bays, interior and exterior lighting with 24-7 access gated entry. They also feature indoor RV and boat storage with multiple locations in Danville and one in Pittsburgh. More information can be found by calling their phone number at 317-745-2700 or by going to their website, hawkeyestorageunits.com.